This is a visible form by taking communion of invisible grace. In other words, when I take the juice or eat the wafer, it's a means of receiving God's grace. What say, okay, so what is that? That's a works salvation. You follow me? For instance, remember the thief on the cross? Jesus said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Did he ever take communion? No. Was he ever baptized? No. Then how in the world did he get into heaven? It's because Jesus appropriated, applied the grace of God to his life. He never took communion, never was baptized, never was confirmed, none of those things. But yet, he was going to be with Jesus in uh, paradise. So, let me give you a further explanation. A sacrament is something man can do to obtain the grace of God. I work. Wow, okay, I'm a pastor. I know some of you don't think I work, but I work. As you work or I work, we get a wage. We earn it. A sacrament is something man can do to obtain, to earn the grace of God. This is what they say. Now, the verses that I have uh, with each of those is a biblical answer to that claim. Turn over to Titus 3.5, if you would, just because I want you to see these verses. A sacrament is something man can do to earn the grace of God. Uh, I'm going to read Isaiah 64, 6. You go ahead and turn to Titus 3, 5. 64, 6. We are all, this is Isaiah 64, 6. I'm reading for the New Living Translation. And as I read it, it's going to be familiar to some of you, but it's a powerful verse. Isaiah 64, 6, and I'm going to read Titus 3, 5. Isaiah 64, 6. We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away like the wind. All our righteousness is just like filthy rags. In other words, all of things I do to earn grace is nothing. It's taking the leaves you're trying to rake up and, the, and you're taking the blower and you're blowing them all over the place. It is nothing. In fact, it is dangerous to think that you can earn God's grace. Now, Titus 3, 5a says, Not by works, can that get any plainer? Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Not by works. You cannot earn your way to heaven. But it's because of his mercy. Now, last week, do you remember we talked about mercy? God doesn't deal with us according to what we deserve, but rather he deals with us according to what he's already done for us. Did you catch up? What he's already done for us, not what I've done for myself. This is, very, this is very key to understanding what people, when they're talking about a sacrament, they're talking about what I can do for myself. He's, he said, this is, this is the mercy of God. He acts not on what I've done, but on what he's done. All right? That's the mercy. That's the grace. 
we, so we give it. The second, uh, designated activity necessary for salvation. Uh, for instance, to those who hold to the sacrament, they would say communion is a necessary activity for salvation. And I often will say this when we take communion to understand is this has nothing to do with you getting to heaven. Rather, when we participate in communion, we're saying as a testimony, listen, I'm going to celebrate the grace of God because I have already accepted Christ. I've already received Christ. His grace has already been appropriated to me through the blood of Jesus Christ. This does not save me. If we never gave or had or celebrated communion again, I would go to heaven based on what? The mercy of God because he's already appropriated his grace to me. He's already given it to me. When I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I got saved. I'll point that a little bit later. Romans 3, 24 and 27. Just if you haven't turned there, turn there. Being, this is very important, being justified. Now what does the word justified mean? I, I know I'm teaching, okay? I'm not going to apologize for that. I know I'm doing that. But I, I just think this is such an important concept that we need to get a hold of. So you will not be deceived or others, you, as you talk to them, you can help them. Having been justified, what does justified mean? Just as if I've never sinned. In other words, having, being justified freely by his grace. Oh my word, it's free. It's not something I have to work for. Being justified freely by his grace, it's a gift, through, the re- through what? The redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Remember I said he acts upon his mercy. He doesn't act upon what I deserve, rather he acts on what he's already done. Being justified by grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. What has he done? He's already redeemed us through Christ. He died on the cross for my sins so that I don't have to die. Justified through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation. Now again, that's one of my favorite words. If you haven't written it in your Bible yet, it means satisfied. He has, Christ, satisfied God's righteous demands. He became our propitiation. He satisfied God's righteous demands. Because because of God's grace redeeming me and his death on the cross for my sins, he has satisfied God's demands for righteousness. And now when he looks at me, he doesn't see me, he sees Christ. This is great stuff. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation, and here's the key, through faith in his blood. Faith is trust to believe faith. So what is he saying? How, did, how was this redemption, how was this grace uh, uh, appropriated to me and satisfied God's righteous demands? Faith. Not works. It's faith. Through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just 
the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus? Where is the boasting? Is It is excluded by what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Works have nothing to do. The things that I do, the service, maybe it's service in the church, mission trips that I've been on, participating in communion, going under the, the waters of baptism, none of those things, none of those things save me. It's the grace of God that he's applied to my life because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ that I can stand boldly before you this morning and say, if I died right now and never took communion again or never had taken it in my lifetime, I would go to heaven. Because I've put my faith, I believe what Christ has done. I believe that message. I've accepted that truth. Last one there is belief that man must participate to be granted salvation. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Again, familiar verses to you. This is kind of a sums up everything I've said. Right? Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace, by grace, you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, not of your own effort. It's a gift, not of works, lest anyone should boast. There are, there are those in that sacramental realm who actually believe this. When you participate with the bread, which is we have as a small cracker, or with the juice, we use uh, grape juice, that this is literally, they believe it is literally the body and the blood of Christ. That's what they believe. So I'm taking part of the body and blood of Christ. There's others who believe when I participate in this, it becomes the body and blood of Christ. Because in their sacramental system, somehow they have to get a hold of Christ. So they participate in communion is one way they do that. It has nothing to do with faith or trust. It has nothing to do with the grace of God. Rather, it's what I've done and what I can do when I can participate. Those who hold that, that sacramental system. I'm going to say this. I might say it again, but I want to make sure I get this. The fundamental difference, the basic difference between the sacramental system and ordinances is doctrine. This is a theological difference of what they believe as far as it goes to salvation and other things. This is a doctrinal difference. This is a significant difference. That's why... I brought this up. When I look out of the websites, I know they're Bible-believing, preaching churches, and in their website they'll talk about celebration of the sacraments. And I'm going, wait a minute, that doesn't click because it's a doctrinal difference of talking about a sacrament and an um, ordinance. First John, or John chapter 5, verse 24 says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. It doesn't say, most assuredly I say to you, he who takes communion has everlasting life. 
It doesn't say that. And shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death into life. You, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you have passed from death into life. What, what did Christ save us from? He saved us from the punishment, and the, or I should say the penalty and the power of sin. The penalty of sin, of course, is eternal damnation. The power of sin is now I have the, the ability through the Spirit of God who indwells me to overcome the sinful habits that I have so ingrained in me that come so naturally to me. The penalty and the power of sin has been broken and severed. The idea with the sacrament is they must accumulate as much grace as they can in hope of having enough to eternal life. You can never accumulate enough grace. You can't do that. And 1 John 5.13 says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. Listen, this is not a wish. This is a no-soul hope. I, though, listen to that verse. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Do you believe in the name of the Son of God? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior to save you from your sins? You can sit there and say, yes, Pastor Ken, I've done that. I, by your testimony, based on Scripture, I can say to you, as far as I know, that you are saved. You have eternal life. You've made that fundamental choice. And put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Now, ordinance. An ordinance are activities that are ordered by the Lord. This is something that the, the Lord has given us specific instructions to do. Okay, So this is an ordinance, what he's ordered by the Lord. First of all, we talk about an ordinance. For instance, let's put it this way. Why do we celebrate communion even? If it's not necessary, why do we celebrate it? Because we have been ordered to. Okay? We've been ordered to by the Lord. Do we have to? No, but we've been ordered to. It's an ordinance. It has nothing to do with giving some special gift of grace to me. But it's an ordinance of the Lord, and that's why, we, that's why we have communion, which we'll talk about a little bit later of the whole process itself. But if you look up at those scriptures there, Matthew 28, 19, and then 1 Corinthians 11. In Matthew 28, 19, it says, this is the Great Commission. Remember, baptism, by the way, is an ordinance. It was something that has been ordered by the Lord. In Matthew 28, 19, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Baptizing them. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. 23 as Paul is instructing the church here at Corinth, they did many things well. I mean, they were a sacrificial giving church, but they also did a lot of things wrong. And one of these areas he wanted to correct was their practice of communion. So he says in verse 23, For I received from the Lord that which also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. 
and when he had given thanks. The Lord himself instituted communion at the Passover supper. And Paul is saying, listen, I, I, I want to clarify something for you in how you ought to be practicing communion. Because this has been ordered of the Lord. It's a commanded by Christ, yes, and practiced by the church. When you talk about, for instance, baptism, the word baptizo, baptizo itself means immersed, plunged, dunked. Many churches practice sprinkling or sprinkling even babies. But how has it been practiced by the first century church? If you go to Acts chapter 2, verse 41, it says, And all those that believed, now this is very important, all those that believed were baptized. Uh, in, in Acts chapter 8, I believe it is, uh, I think it's 8, is where Stephen is sent and he meets the Ethiopian eunuch who is traveling and leaving from Jerusalem. He had been there up to, to celebrate and sacrifice. And uh, the, the Ethiopian said to Philip, he said, I'm reading here in Isaiah uh, 53, of course, this is about Christ, uh, the prophecy. And he said, I don't understand this. And it says that uh, Philip got up in the chariot with him, or if you want another way, maybe they sat down on the ground. But he said he began to explain to him from the scriptures, starting with the Old Testament, up through all the events that had happened leading up to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the Ethiopian said, he said, what hinders me from being baptized? And I'm thinking, this conversation that he had with the Ethiopian must have been over a period of several hours to get to that point where he said, what hinders, he said, there's water, what hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, well, what do you believe about Jesus? I believe he's the son of God. He said, fine, there's nothing that hinders you from being baptized. It says they went down into the water and they came up out of the water. But notice what? He believed before he was baptized. So when we practice baptism, we we say we practice believer's baptism, just like they did in the scripture. It's an ordinance. The second thing there, you notice, is it's a physical act which is ceremonial, or I could use the word symbolic in nature. I'm gonna, and I'm going to go to the, the 1 Corinthians 11 passage where we're talking about communion specifically. And Jesus is, is instructing, he says, verse 24, he says, When he had given thanks, he broke it, took the bread, broke it and said, and, and broke it is basically they took the loaf of bread and tore a chunk out of it, broke it and said, This is my, this, which broken, uh, take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant of my blood. This do as oft as he drink it in remembrance of me. He, he broke the bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body. The bread represents the wafer that we have, represents the broken body of Jesus Christ. Now, as you know, he... None of his bones were broken. But he was broken emotionally, and he was broken physically. He was whipped, he was beaten, etc. Those things. I submit to you that he was broken, but he never had any broken bones. He, his flesh, literally his flesh was broken. But he said, as you take this, 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 this is a symbol, ceremonial in nature. It's not the literal blood, it's not the literal body 
but it's a symbol. It represents it. That's what we call figurative language. You shall mount up on wings of eagles. Well, are you literally going to mount up on the wings of an eagle? No, that's figurative language. Means, it simply means this. That, you know, when you're walking with God and you're right with God, you will soar. You will have, you will have ability and, and uh, guidance and uh, impact of, of the Lord upon your life. There will be a difference. This is figurative language. It's ceremonial in nature. The last thing, it symbolizes a spiritual reality. The broken body, shed blood of Christ, represents, symbolizes a spiritual reality. Did he die on the cross? Yes. But as you notice, we don't have a crucifix here. And why is that? Because we don't keep crucifying Jesus. He died once. And it's finished. And he said on the cross, those famous last words, you'll never forget them. It is finished. It's done. It's a done deal. There's nothing to add to it. Nothing you can take away from it. It's done. It is finished. So when we talk about communion, it symbolizes a spiritual reality. Peter preaching at Pentecost. Those who gladly received his word were baptized. Those who gladly received his word were baptized. Now, if you want to look at the spiritual reality of that, look over to Romans chapter 5, please. This is, this is uh, very instructive when you think about the spiritual reality of baptism. 6, Romans 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Remember now, baptism symbolizes a spiritual reality. As I continue reading verse 4. Therefore we are buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his, his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified him, that the body of sin might be done away, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Does baptism save? No, it's a symbol of the salvation experience. When, when we practice baptism, and maybe you picked this up or not, I, I will say to the individual, I said, have you accepted Christ your personal Savior? They'll say yes. I said, based on your testimony, your desire to be obedient to Scripture and following the, the example of Christ, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection. It symbolizes, okay? It's a symbol of our spiritual reality. Does baptism save you? No. It's a symbol of a spirituality of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And I've been buried and have been raised in newness of life through Jesus Christ. An ordinance or a sacrament. We practice what we call an ordinance. There is a basic fundamental difference between a sacrament and an ordinance. I know it's, and it's not semantics. It's a doctrinal difference. And I know what people mean when I know they're a Bible-believing, preaching church, and they use the word sacraments. I think they mean ordinance. But they need to be real careful of it because when you talk to us about sacraments to other faiths, 
it means so totally something totally different. Totally different. So we practice what's called the ordinance of communion. That was good stuff. I'm, I'm sorry. I was a little excited about it. it just, maybe it didn't show up, but that was, that was really good stuff. To be able to, to understand the difference between it and how important that is for us as we see those things. And it helps undergird much of what we already believe and know about our faith and what the Word of God teaches. All right. Father, we thank you, God, for the, the truth of what we looked at already this morning. We pray that you give us wisdom and guidance as we look uh, through the rest of the service. Again, your name be glorified and praised in Christ. Uh, chapter 11, please. The men that are going to help serve, if you would make your way to the front, please. And go ahead and be seated in the front pew here. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is the instructions that are given to the church at Corinth for the celebration of communion. And we're just going to look at some things here as we, we get into that. Verse 23, Paul instruction given to them. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This, it, this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be contemned uh, with the world. I want to, I want to look at some words. Uh, there's, let me put it this way. There's so many things. If you look at this, if you've ever read through this, just thought through it. For instance, in the later verse there, it says, and this is the new covenant which means there must have been an old covenant. That's a, that's a message in itself. I'm not even going to go there with that one. But I'm gonna, I want to give you some words. When you think about communion, you ought to think about these words as you keep, them, keep communion in mind. And even as we come to celebrate it. Now, and one of the reasons, okay, one of the reasons I think this is important, because communion can become, can become a ritual. We don't want it to be ritualistic. There are people who say, you know, Christianity is, is a mind-numbing belief. Christianity is a mind application and thinking belief. This is, this is a, when we study the Word of God, we'd be thinking, how does this apply to my life? So what difference does that make? What, what is this all about? Give me understanding. And then, how does this change me? And so when I, the, the reason I bring these words up, so we'll not become ritualistic. But as we sincerely participate in communion, whether it be today or later days, that we will remember these things. Uh, again, I'm not saying you should do this, but it's one of those things, if you write these words in your Bible, it's a constant reminder every time that you think of the fact or, or think through communion.
first word is illustration. This is an illustration of God's redemptive plan. The bread is his body. All he was and all he did. He was, as it says there in John 1, 1, and the word and the word in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. John 1 14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is God in the flesh, is Jesus Christ. And then later in that chapter, John the Baptist, as he sees Jesus Christ walking by, as he says to his disciples, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Communion is an illustration of God's redemptive plan. All he was and all he has done. That sinless sacrifice, our sinless, perfect Savior. God's redemptive plan. The cup, his blood, Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Blood had to be shed. This, was, this reaches way back. Okay, way, way, way back. On the other side of that wall, it reaches back in the Old Testament. The sacrificial system. And the sacrificial system, they had to bring constantly bring sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. Some of them are commanded, some of them are voluntary, but they had to bring sacrifice. Jesus fulfilled the law. All those sacrifices, way over there on the other side of that wall, Jesus came and fulfilled. He fulfilled the righteous demands of God. He shed his blood for our sins. And when it was done on the cross, he said, it's finished once for all time. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Later on in that chapter, verse 28 says, So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. And I love this verse because if you look back in verse 23, on the same night that the Lord was betrayed, the Lord Jesus, same night in which he was betrayed, what was that night that Jesus was betrayed? That was the Passover. Remember the Passover? The Passover was a celebration of the Jewish exodus from Egypt. They were took a young lamb, killed it, cooked it, took the blood and put it on the doorposts, doorpost as well as the header, put it on the doorpost. And as the death, death angel came over Egypt, this was the tenth plague because Pharaoh kept changing his mind, wouldn't let the children of Israel leave. As the death angel came over, those who had the blood on the doorpost, he passed over. If you didn't have the, uh, the blood on the, on the doorpost, he passed through. And when he passed through, the oldest male child died. So this was a celebration of the Passover. They, they celebrated the Passover once a year. On the night in which he's betrayed, which was the Passover, it's just ironic, I guess, or again, this was uh, exactly the way God planned it. Shouldn't it be that way? that the night they celebrate the Passover is the night that Jesus is going to be arrested, betrayed, beaten, and the next day crucified. The Passover. Now, this is why I love this verse, 1 John 5, verse 7. Christ, listen to this, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Christ is our Passover. 
He shed his blood for us. So when we talk about illustration, God's redemptive plan. So this, this, this communion is an illustration of God's redemptive plan. Second word is reflection. God's redemptive provision. Several times it says in the text here, he says, uh, this do in remembrance of me. This do in remembrance of me. It's a memorial. As I participate in communion, I reflect. In fact, before we even participate in communion, we reflect. And, and think about, and, and uh, as many times as the men, I have them pray before we, we uh, take of the cup or the bread. And, and they'll, they'll say, say, thank you, God. That you saw fit in your mercy to extend to me your grace that I could even be saved. This is why, in, in, uh, this is why it's really, a, this is a celebration, but it's, always, it's a serious celebration. Because we reflect, this was no small gift. He gave his life for your life. How many of you would be willing to die for somebody else so they could live? So it's a time of reflection. This is God's redemptive provision for us. Third, I love this one too, proclamation. This is, this is God's divine promise, his redemptive promise. There in verse 26, for as oft as ye eat this bread and drink this rub, blood, uh, cup, I'm sorry, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. It's a proclamation. You are actually preaching a message. You know what? He's coming back. This is awesome. We are the only religion in the world that has a living founder, Jesus Christ. And one day, he's coming back, we will meet him in the air. Maybe it'll be today. But I know this for sure, it's going to happen. This is a proclamation of God's redemptive promise. He, before he left, he told his disciples, I'm going, to, I'm going to go to heaven, I'm preparing a place for you, but I want you to know that I'm coming back to bring you to be with me. It's a promise, this redemptive promise. His death, his burial, his resurrection is coming again. We don't stop with death. We don't continue to be crucified. The cross is empty because he's coming again. The fourth word, also a good word, confrontation. God's redemptive power. Later in this chapter, he says, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Worthy, unworthy. We are to take part in a worthy manner. The the word worthy is axios. What does that mean? Balanced, fit, appropriate. If I'm worthy to participate in this, I'm balanced, I'm fit, I'm appropriate. So what's unworthy? Anaxios. Unworthy, unbalanced, unfit, inappropriate. So how can I be worthy? When I come to the table, I think there's just no way that I can be worthy. There's no way that I can come and, and, and participate and be worthy to participate except for one thing. Jesus said, or John said in 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In my own flesh, I cannot come to the table. But I can only come to the table if I have sin that has been confessed. This is the confrontation. He says, if you would only examine yourself, you, I would not have to judge you. This is serious celebration. This is a confrontation. So, are you unsaved? If you're unsaved, don't participate. You'll be participating in an unworthy manner. If you have unconfessed sin, don't participate. You'll be participating in an unworthy manner. I could have put celebration in here. That was a great word. But I like these four. Illustration, God's redemptive plan. Reflection, God's redemptive provision. Proclamation, God's redemptive promise. And confrontation, God's redemptive power. He has the power to save. And he has the power to forgive. Nobody else can do that. No one else can forgive your sin. No one else has the power to redeem you from eternal damnation. Confrontation. God's redemptive power. Let's take, just take a few minutes then as we prepare to offer the elements as you in prayer examine your heart in preparation for participation in the communion. Man, if you'd come at this time, and we'll serve the bread.
One of the uh, favorite hymns, what I always think of when I think of communion, is nothing between. And it'll be familiar to you as soon as I say the words. It says, nothing between my soul and the Savior. I always think of clear the decks. Clear the decks, guys. Nothing between my soul and the Savior, not of this world's delusive dream. I have renounced all sinful pleasures. Jesus is mine. There's nothing between. The second verse goes, Nothing between like worldly pleasures, habits of life, though harmless they seem, must not my heart from him ever sever. He is my all. There's nothing between. Nothing between my soul and the Savior so that his blessed face may be seen. Nothing preventing the least of his favor. Keep the way clear. Let nothing between. Mike, if you lead us prayer, please. Oh, Heavenly Father, we do celebrate this time. What a, a blessed memories, Lord, that we, we have. We can think of a Savior, but this living sacrifice, Lord, that you've done. And we, we know, Lord, that this gives us hope. Hope for today and hope for tomorrow. Lord, you know at the right time what we needed. We didn't need a lawyer. We didn't need a physician or a politician or a computer programmer. We needed a Savior. We thank you for that. We thank you for loving us and bringing Christ. Amen. Take you.
Dan, if you'd Dan, if you'd lead us prayer for the cup, please. Thank you, Lord, for this day and for this ordinance. Thank you for this time uh, to focus on you and, and what you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you all of it. Very quickly, one last thing. Think of communion, the four looks. The four looks of communion. It's a backward look to his command. We, as believers, not only need to have a desire, but we need to be living in obedience to the Word of God. Why do we practice communion? It's a command of God. So it's a look back to the command. And we as believers, we need, we need to live in obedience to the scriptures. It's a look up to his cross. We look to his cross. We have a cross. To celebrate what Christ has done. Nothing I could do for myself. Only Christ could do it. So I look back to the command. I look up to the cross. Third look. Look forward to his coming. We already mentioned that. What a great day. What a blessed day. Do they anticipate our eternal fellowship? When we come to the communion table, actually it's a fellowship of believers. When we are with Christ, eternal fellowship. Think about it. Eternal fellowship. The last look. An inward look to his cleansing. To confess, forsake. And this is often the part that is missed. Change. You may have sat here this morning and you confess some things that have been on your mind, on your heart, attitudes, actions, words, whatever it may be. But are you going to change now? Are you going to go back to those same habits, those same attitudes, those same behaviors, those same words? Confess, forsake, and change. Make a difference. So as we go forward, look to his command, look to his cross, look to his coming and look to his cleansing. Well, that's good stuff. Just think about it. This is a great time of every celebration, every church, when they celebrate.